Stories from a Hard Place is an anthology podcast. Every Thursday, R.A. Jacobson presents another story from a hard place, read by the author. Stories of loneliness and betrayal, of false hope and shattered dreams, of gifts and regrets, of love and accidental kindness. Each story follows a separate path that leads to the realization that sometimes the only solution is a lead pill. Listener discretion is advised. Contains strong language, violence, and some adult situations. Episode 36. This is part two of a two-part telling. Two things happened, almost precisely at the same moment. The first was close by. A small girl was riding her tricycle and was struck by a rusty white car heading too fast down her tiny street. The driver jumped out of his car and found the little girl and her bike still under his car. He leapt back in the car, reversed several feet, and returned to the girl's body. She lay pushed up against the curb, almost full length. She didn't appear to be hurt. Though her tricycle in the grass behind her was bent beyond recognition. The driver moved closer to the little girl. Her eyes flew around wildly until they fell onto the driver's face. They stopped and looked into his eyes. A small smile touched her lips. A confused look crossed her face as a bubble formed in her lips, a brighter pink than any gum. When it popped, it splattered the driver with blood. He jerked back, wiping his face. When he looked again, the little girl could not see him. He cried, kneeling in a pool of blood that spread from the tiny form. Several miles away, at the crossroads that was the cause of so much misery, it was broad daylight. An old man stood there, cursing a man called the judge, the man responsible for the crossroads. The old man's screamed curse was cut short by the heart attack. He fell forward on his face. He lay on the cold blacktop until a half-ton driven by a wiry old farmer stopped. He loped up to the man prone on the pavement. After a minute, he bent forward and half-dragged, half-carried the ailing man to his truck. The truck was not a fast truck, but the farmer pushed it as hard as he dared. By the time he stopped in front of the hospital, his vehicle was wheezing and smoking badly. The small hospital came alive when the farmer started yelling, banging on the hood as he ran around the front of the truck to the passenger door. White-coated men and women ran out to help the farmer with the man slumped in his front seat. They pulled the man onto a stretcher. At about the same time, Mr. White stood and looked at the little girl lying in the gutter. He wasn't a man of emotions or sentimentality. He wasn't a man, but he was a being offended by waste. This was waste. He looked down the street where the driver had sped away, The smoke from his spinning tire still hung in the air. Mr. White took the little girl's hand and led her to the river. Minutes later, Mr. White walked unnoticed into the hospital. The man had succumbed to the heart attack and lay in the hospital bed covered in a white sheet. Standing beside Mr. White, looking at his own dead body, he turned. Well, I guess I'm dead, he said to Mr. White. Come. Mr. White turned to go. I wanted to tell the judge he was a son of a bitch, 
the man said, and turned to follow Mr. White. Mr. White paused. Why is that? He's a lying bastard. He took from me and he never gave me what I asked for. Mr. White smiled. He is the devil. That's his business. Is he? I talked with my pa, and he said that the judge just sort of showed up a few years back, turning things to shit around here. The man stood still, puffed up and defiant. Mr. White had asked that very question many times. This area seemed to be unusually active for the judge. The man and Mr. White walked out of the hospital onto black sands. It was well past midnight. Simon sat in his POS in the shade of the trailer. He had parked in that same spot for several days. He was more tired than he'd ever been. Now, though, it wasn't insomnia, but his search that kept him up at night. He wouldn't admit it, but he felt more focused than usual. He waited and watched the few vehicles come and go, yet after an hour or so, there were no bikes. Simon was starting to nod off. He jerked his head up, not sure how long he'd been asleep. He glanced at his watch, yawned, and reached for the ignition. It was time to go home. He turned the car over when two bikes rode in, pulled up to the diner, and went in. He didn't recognize them. They had crests on their back, but he couldn't make them out from this distance. He sat up and watched. Through the window of the diner, he watched the bikers sit in a booth. A few minutes later, four more bikers drove up. They had just stopped when another four bikers rumbled into the parking lot. Eight bikers plus two, now there were ten. Simon sat and watched as the four men laughed and hugged and walked into the diner together. They greeted the two already seated and joined them. They all crowded into a single booth, some perched on the back of the seats. An hour later, a lone bike slowed its tailpipe snapping. It turned off the blacktop. Its small headlamp cut the dark as it rolled up to the diner and stopped. The bike roared and quieted. The man swung his leg over the bike and walked into the diner. Simon knew who this man was. This was Jacob. This was the man Simon wanted, no, needed, to speak to. Simon left his car and walked across the parking lot, watching the group of bikers as they greeted Jacob as he walked into the diner. Most stood and greeted with smiles and raised arms. The Mack cab-over truck careened into the parking lot and slammed into Simon. His head smacked against the grill of the big truck as the truck jammed onto its brakes. Simon was sent flying across the gas pumps. He smashed several feet off the ground, breaking glass and plastic when his body then fell to the concrete. He did not get up. The diner disgorged 13 bikers. The trucker had jumped down from the cab to see what he had hit, turned to see a gang of bikers running toward him. He panicked, ran back to his truck and tried to climb in. He was pulled down by one of the bikers. Jacob knelt beside Simon. He's alive. Brian, call 911. Simon lay on the hard cement, surrounded by shattered glass and splintered plastic. His eyes opened for a second. Jacob! I need to ask you a question. He slipped into unconsciousness. A day later, Mr. White walked up to the mangled, rusted white car. It was bent around a power pole. 
It had been traveling at an extreme speed when it failed to make the turn and slid sideways into the pole. Mr. White recognized the car. It was the same car that sped away from the small child. The driver opened the door and stepped out, stumbled and looked back at his dead body, still sitting in the mangled car. He stood confused. Mr. White walked up to him. The driver's pant knees were stiff with dried blood. Fuck, I'm dead, the driver said. He looked at his body, then to Mr. White. Who the fuck are you? Mr. White smiled. I am Mr. White. I am Mr. White. Look, fucker, who the fuck are you? The driver turned, menacing Mr. White. Mr. White touched him gently on the chest. The driver gasped before crumpling to the ground. I'm sorry to tell you that you are no longer in charge. You are dead, which means I'm in charge. Mr. White looked at the driver as he stood. Okay, sorry. Yeah, okay. What happens now? Well, now we leave. Mr. White turned and started walking away. The driver looked once more at his dead body. This ain't right. That fucker's full of shit. I never got what he promised. Mr. White stopped. What's that? The fucking judge is full of shit. Really? How so? Mr. White turned and looked at the driver. He ain't the real judge. Can't be. If he were, I would have got what I asked for. And what was that? The man hesitated, looked around. I wanted to kill people and not get caught. I wanted to know what it were like. Well, you did not get caught. Mr. White turned away and continued walking. Yeah, but I weren't supposed to die, neither. Not know how, he said. The driver shook his head. He can't be the real deal, no, sir. And he followed Mr. White across the black sands. The man looked up when Simon's eyes opened. It's good to see you awake. Simon didn't recognize the face looking down at him. Or did he? There was something familiar about the smile. It was an undeniably handsome face. Simon thought he looked like Jimi Hendrix. He wasn't a doctor dressed in the dark suit. Not the ice cream green that doctors wore. Simon looked into those dark eyes and slipped back into unconsciousness. When he awoke again, he knew where he was and who was looking at him. This man was a doctor, short and slightly hunched. He had an air of a man who knew exactly who he was and what he was here to do. He looked at Simon with a neutral expression. How are you feeling today? Simon found his throat was too dry to reply. The doctor didn't seem too worried about an answer. He turned away and started talking to the nurse who was standing by. I'll come by later and see how he's coming along, he said as he gave Simon a light pat on the shoulder and left. The nurse watched the doctor leave, then brought Simon a glass of water. Drink slowly. Simon tried to reach for the glass, but he couldn't. His right arm was in a cast. He looked at the white plaster, surprised. The nurse extended the glass to his left hand. He took it and drank a full glass of water, then nodded for another. The nurse hesitated, but she gave him another. Okay, now lay back. You need rest. Dr. Crashden will come and see you a bit later. Now sleep. Simon was tired. He slipped back into sleep easily and quickly. It was dark when he woke again. 
Outside his door, he could hear the sounds of the hospital continuing, though quieter. They felt hushed. He looked at the ceiling. A light somewhere outside, maybe in the parking lot, cast long, thin shadows across the ceiling. Laying there, he tried to remember what had happened. He remembered seeing Jacob come to the diner. He remembered being excited that he was going to get to ask his question. A noise to his right. He turned and saw a man sitting in the shadows. Good evening, Simon. The man stood and stepped toward the light. How are you feeling? Simon recognized the man. This is the man he had seen before. I'm fine. Who are you? You can call me Mr. White. Mr. White, do I know you? Simon tried to pull himself up and found he couldn't. Oh no, not yet. We won't meet professionally for some time, Mr. White said. He had a pleasant smile. In that case, may I ask, what am I doing in your room? You see, I'm called here quite frequently. He looked at Simon with a touch of sadness in his eyes. I was here when you were brought in, actually. I can't quite remember what happened, Simon said, looking down at his body hidden under the white and blue covers. You got hit by a truck, quite a large truck as I understand, threw you across the parking lot into some gas pumps. You were saved by a bunch of bikers. Bikers? Yes. I was hoping to talk to them. Simon looked at Mr. White. Oh, why is that? Mr. White leaned forward, interested. I wanted to ask Jacob a question. Simon tried again to sit up. Again he failed. He glanced at Mr. White, puzzled. Then he reached down and touched his legs. He couldn't feel his touch. With a huge effort, he pushed himself to a sitting position and flung the covers aside. He patted his legs, reaching down to his knees. Simon looked at Mr. White. Yes, he said slowly. The truck severed your spine. Then, as an afterthought, sorry. Mr. White opened his mouth to say more, but the door opened and Dr. Krajden entered, followed by the nurse. I see you're awake. What happened? Why can't I feel my legs? His voice was steady and calm. Well, you came in in a very bad way. The attending doctor wasn't sure you were going to make it. He rightfully diagnosed your injuries. You have severe fractures to your L1, L2, and L4 vertebrae, along with other fractures and multiple contusions. The fractures in your spine caused a complete disruption of the spinal cord, which has led to a state of paraplegia. Simon looked at him, his brow furrowed. Unfortunately, you will be confined to a wheelchair for the rest of your life, the doctor said. Simon looked at him. He wasn't shocked or really upset. Dr. Krajan continued talking, hardly looking at Simon. He looked at the nurse, who had a sad, sympathetic look on her face. He looked for Mr. White. Mr. White was gone. A few days later, Simon was reading when there was a sort of a commotion in the hallway right outside his door. The door burst open, and the room was filled by leather-clad bikers led by Jacob. Behind Jacob was the largest man Simon had ever seen. He was at least a head taller than Jacob, who was well over six foot. Me and the boys come to see how you're doing, Jacob said. Doc says you're going to be riding your own set of wheels from now on. We're going to have to trick him out for you, said the mountain of a man. He was grinning from ear to ear, though his grin seemed forced. There was pain in those eyes. Ah, oh, yeah, 
This here's Brian, Jacob said. The jurors hung around for 32 minutes, laughing and joking. They had brought him a bunch of weird, slightly offensive gifts, but the one thing they brought was a denim vest with a juror's crest on the back. This ain't something we do often. Well, in fact, we've never done it, but this here's your cut. We're making you an honorary member of the jurors. He held out the vest with a certain reverence. Simon took it with his good arm and looked at it spread out on his lap. He was touched. It was such a simple thing. However, he felt like he belonged for the first time. As if they were embarrassed by what they'd done, they all said goodbye and noisily filed out. Simon looked at the vest. He enjoyed the feel. He looked up and was surprised to see Brian standing awkwardly by the door. Simon looked at him. It was apparent he wanted to say something. Simon waited. Um, I know this sucks. I know how you feel, Brian paused. Um, you're from around here, right? Yes, Simon said. Not sure where this is going. Two ums. Um, I mean, you know it about the judge. Yes? Simon perked up a bit. Three ums. Look, Jacob don't want me talking to you. None of the jurors do. They all got their reasons to have powerful hate on for the judge. But they don't know what happened, and I know how I feel. They ain't going to stop me. Brian smiled a bit, sheepishly. It was the most words he had spoken all in one time. Simon did not know what to say. Back a few years ago, I lost my arms. Got them both torn off on a baler. Brian stepped forward as if to show he still had his arms. I went to the judge, he said. I mean, the only thing I could do was live with it and put my ma through hell or swallow a lead pill. Simon waited. Brian looked at his arms. They were massive, like the rest of him. I want to go see the judge, Simon said. Yeah, I thought you might. Brian looked down at the floor, then back at Simon. I gotta tell you what happened next. You see, not only did I sell my soul, but days after my ma and pa were killed. There's a sort of balance. You get one thing, and something else bad happens. Brian watched Simon for a minute. It's not what you think, but I still want to see him, Simon said. Sure, sure. Okay, when you get out, I'll drive you over. But think on it. There is no going back. Brian smiled, head down, turned and walked out of the room. Simon was trying to sleep. He stared, watching the light shift on the ceiling. He had spent the last several nights unable to sleep unable to do anything about it. The nurses had offered him pills to help. He had refused. He had tried drugs some years back and had hated the way he felt the next day. He swore never again. He heard a noise in the room and turned to see Mr. White standing in the room, just barely visible in the shadows. So, you've made a decision, Mr. White said. Mr. White? Feeling better, Mr. White asked. I'm fine, Simon said. What do you mean, a decision? You're going to see the judge, but not for the reason everyone thinks. Simon frowned. Hmm. I... What do you mean? 
Oh, Simon, I know many things. I have certain connections, you see, Mr. White smiled. Who are you, Mr. White? Simon, Simon, you know who I am, what I am. Simon realized he did. He knew who this was. You are deaf, he said. Very good, now let's talk. I have a proposal for you. Simon sat at the crossroads. His chair gleamed in the dark. Brian had picked him up at the hospital the morning he was released. They had driven to the tavern called the Old Scratch on Eleven. Simon had driven by it many times, but never stopped. Brian pushed Simon into the bar, wearing his cut. Several of the jurors were there waiting for him. They cheered to see him. Simon could not remember being this happy. He felt like he was part of something, something great and wonderful. They sat around drinking coffee, then they switched to beer late in the afternoon. Jacob walked in just as the food arrived. He smiled, slapped Simon on the back, and sat. The jurors gathered as if they'd been waiting for Jacob to arrive. So, I know your mind's made up and all. We would be a sorry bunch to try to talk you out of what you're set to do. He paused and looked at the group. But I think you should know a few things. And he told Simon his story. He told about why he had sold his soul and what had happened. Each juror took his turn. Each told his story. Each talked about their regret. Each told how they'd turned back the clock and stopped themselves from going to the crossroads. Simon listened to each story. He listened to each regret. Thirteen stories. Thirteen regrets. They were quiet for a minute, then Jacob said, Okay, I think we need another round, and I need another order of hot wings. The night raced by. Simon laughed and forgot to count. He even forgot to make lists or even think about lists. When Brian's face went serious, he stood up. The jurors went silent. Around him, the bar continued, but it was muffled. The bar's buzz seemed distant and quieted. Let's get going, Brian said. Jacob stood beside Simon. See you in a bit, Simon, Jacob said. Simon sat at the crossroads, waiting for a being that would change his life. He was excited, anticipating the meeting ahead. It happened between blinks. One second, he was sitting in the dark. The next, he was off in the noise and light. He raised his left hand in defense and closed his eyes. The noise died, and the lights blinked off. He lowered his arm, opened his eyes, and realized a car was inches from his knees. The grill had a yellow bow tie shape right in the middle, at almost eye level to him. He felt the heat from the engine and could smell the hot metal. Simon rolled back from the car as a man climbed out. Well, howdy, Simon. I heard you were coming to see me. The man was tall, slim, and handsome, sheathed in a black suit. His white shirt glowed in the night air. I'm sorry for your troubles, he said, and yes, I can get you what you want. Simon looked up at him. You're the judge. I am. You're not what I expected, Simon said. Did you expect horns and a tail? No, but not you. Well, I am the judge. What can I do you for? He stepped forward and smiled, his teeth as white as his shirt. I'm guessing you want your legs back. Simon looked at the judge for a minute. No, he said. 
That's not what I want from you. Oh, surprise showed in the judge's face. He recovered. Then what is it you want? Simon smiled. I want a list. A list? Yes, a list that no one has or ever will have. Okay, that's a first, I must say. The judge straightened his already straight tie. I want a list of every soul you have collected from these parts. The judge looked at Simon for a minute. That's right. You have a thing about lists and numbers, he smiled. Beside and slightly behind him, a man formed. It looked like a thousand black shapes swirled around, gathered into the body of a man. Simon heard a buzzing around and realized the shapes were black flies. They formed a man as tall as a judge, slimmer, dressed in a suit with a large-brimmed hat. He was holding a book. He was smiling. Sir, I am Mr. July. Do we have a contract? The man said as the buzzing faded. Mr. July, yes, give Simon your book. Sir? Mr. July's smile faltered, his head turned toward the judge. My book? Yes, your book. Anger flared briefly in the judge's eyes. His smile slipped for a second, then it returned. Yes, sir. He stepped forward, extending his black book toward Simon. Simon took it. The book writhed in his hand. Several flies crawled up his arm. Simon could feel his fingers slightly sink into the book. Is this going to vanish when you leave? Simon asked. The judge frowned. Then he reached forward and touched the book. It immediately solidified into a black leather-bound book. Mr. July stood holding his book. Simon looked at it, then looked down in his hands at the leather book he held. They looked the same. Mr. July smiled. I believe you had a second request, the judge said, his smile back with all its ghastly glory. Yes, I have played the lottery for years. Now I want to win. Ha! Of course. That's a simple one. What number do you play? 790879. A prime! Very nice, the judge reached down to his jacket and pulled out a slip of paper. He handed it to Simon. Here you go. The three men looked at each other for a minute. Then the judge turned and climbed into his car. Mr. July slumped, then fell forward. He never hit the ground. He broke up into a cloud of flies. When Simon looked away from the cloud of flies, the judge and the shiny car were pulling away down the highway. Simon sat staring at the surrounding night. He was pleased. He held his book, his list in his hand, along with a winning lottery ticket. It was all he really ever wanted. In the distance, he could see the headlights coming toward him. That would be Brian coming to pick him up. After a minute, Simon could hear the big engine's exhaust. Brian shifted down, and the truck's rumble rose in pitch. The truck lurched, then there was a squeal of tires and a yelp. The pickup came to a stop. Simon watched as Brian climbed out, stepped into the headlights. Even at this distance, Simon heard Brian's curse. After a second, Brian shook his head, turned and climbed back in, reversed, then drove around something on the road. He pulled up close to Simon. When Brian climbed out of his truck and walked toward Simon, there was surprise on his face. You're still in your chair, he said. Simon looked down at his chair. 
He looked up at Brian. Yes, that's not why I came here. I came for this. He held up his book, a broad smile on his face. I don't get it, Brian said. No, I don't suppose you would, Brian. Mr. White walked past Brian's truck and stood beside Simon. Mr. White? Ah, that's why the rabbit. Brian looked down the road at the small shape he had driven around. Yes, I need to be called by the dying. But a bunny rabbit, Brian whined. Sorry. Mr. White looked momentarily uncomfortable. It was the closest creature around when you came. Brian, Simon said. Brian, you have been so nice to me. Your friendship, however brief, was absolutely wonderful. I have never felt accepted like I have since you and the jurors came into my life. A tear burned in Simon's eye. You will never know how much being with you and the boys meant to me. But I have made a deal, one that I didn't think you would understand. How can you say that? We've all made the deal with that fucker, Brian's voice rose. No, Brian, not with the judge, with Mr. White, with death. I don't get it, Brian frowned. When I was in the parking lot, before that truck, that's what I wanted. I was going to come into the diner and ask for your help to find the judge. Then the truck happened and things shifted a bit. Mr. White and I spoke at the hospital. He offered me a deal I couldn't say no to. Simon smiled up at Mr. White. He looked at Brian and smiled. Here, I hope this is, in a small way, thanks for all you and the jurors have done for me. Simon extended his hand. Brian stepped forward and took the lottery ticket. He looked at Simon, puzzled. It's a winning lottery ticket that should give you guys enough to maybe build a new meeting house or a garage or whatever, Simon smiled. And now it's time to go, I guess. He looked at Mr. White. Yes. Simon stood, book in hand, no cast on his arm, and looked back at the slumped body in the wheelchair. Brian... Would you deal with that for me? Simon said, indicating his dead body. I have no further use for it. You see, I am now death's accountant. I will count the dead. Simon smiled at Brian, waved and walked into the blackness with Mr. White. I hope you've enjoyed the conclusion of Adding It Up. Tune in next week for... Radio SHP 666, Backroad Radio, the voice of Hard Place. Music by Noah Zachran. Production copyright by R.A. Jacobson 2021. If you would like to support Stories from a Hard Place, please go to patreon.com forward slash hard place. If you'd like a book version, either ebook or print, you can find it on Amazon. You can find links to all these and much more at Dead Cat Studio. That's deadcatstud.io Thanks for listening. Keep the shiny side up.